Welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. You know, I just realized something as I was setting up for this week's show. Uh-oh. We have one more show before our vacation. Yes. I realized that. It's time. That's the big reveal? That, that was the big reveal. Actually, if you think about it, that means we only have one more show left for the year. We're not recording New Year's weekend? That would go up probably 2017. Oh, good point. Good point. We're not doing predictions before the end of the year or our standard New Year's show, are we? Because I we need never time do, to prepare. We never do that. We, we, we hold there's – and there's a reason for this. We always hold the predictions, making any predictions, until after preseason testing. Oh, okay, good. Because so much changes – that you gotta you gotta see what happens at testing. That that I think gives kind of almost an idea of who's completely and totally gotten it wrong again. McLaren, we're looking at you. I don't know. I'm thinking maybe Sauber, but well, Sauber's got their <clears throat> own issues. But Sauber was never in contention. McLaren once used to once used to great English there. Used to um, could. Used to could. <laughs> used to could compete. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I have the mastery of the English language this, this morning. Well, I was wondering where, whether or not there was more to go no, after no, the after used to could or you just gave up. <laughs> I said McLaren used to could compete. That's the end of my sentence. And then I'm lamenting the lack of English skills okay. that I'm showing here. So I decided to just sit on my hands and shut up. Well, let's start off with this week. With a look at the other open wheel series that we look at every so often. Mexican carts? It's the mm-hmm. IndyCar music. I know it's it's been a while since we played it, but that's the IndyCar music, remember? That is? That was the IndyCar music. We picked a mariachi band to be the IndyCar music? That- what were we thinking? That is not a mariachi band. Oh, really? That that's um, uh, oh the guy. Now see, now I have lost it. Um, Herb Alpert and a Tijuana Brass. Okay, so it's a brass version of a mariachi band. <laughs> hey, Herb Alpert and a Tijuana Brass is the same group that did um the theme for um, not the dating game. Yeah, the dating game. And that's what means IndyCar to you? This is what IndyCar means to you? It was the swinging sound there. Because IndyCar says swing to you. Sure. Okay. Well, you know, it, it's got a bit of, you know, the the retro throwback by, by insisting on going to ovals. And then it's got the real racing by going to road tracks. Wow, reach much? Well, no, I was more <laughs> thinking that NASCAR fans, they should do this. That's Tim Taylor, care of Tool Time. <laughs> P.O. Box 3273. Ow, ow, ow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. All right, so IndyCar. Um, that's the other open wheel series that we semi-follow. We could, Well, th- that's the one, unlike Formula One, which we really like, IndyCar, and looking at the map, we end up with, especially now that they go to Watkins Glen, three different races every year that are within five hours of us. I know. But we have reservations to go to one of them. See? So that's why we got to look at IndyCar every so often. Yeah, well, we got to get better at identifying cars and drivers because they go so fast on the track, you can't read the little numbers on their cars when you're live. Well, the the car with the big white 98 on it. Yes. Um you know, that translates really well to a podcast. Nice. And, and the thing is, I knew you were going to do that when we were talking about a lineup. I, I was just waiting for it. So as coincidences happen, I happen to be wearing my Alexander Rossi t-shirt this morning. And thought it was a great idea to show it off, point it out in a medium that nobody can actually see it. It's probably a good thing that they can't see it right now, but... It's, it's, I was pointing out verbally 
figuring that you would also have described that I was wearing his shirt because we were talking about Car 98. No, I was just going to mock that you were trying to do a sight gag <laughs> on an audio podcast. Well, you know, it's, I, I, I like to you know host for our in-studio audience who's sound asleep on the floor. Good. Anyway, so back to Alexander Rossi, the 2016 IndyCar Rookie of the Year and winner of the 100th running of the Indy 500. The car that he drove at that race, the Dallara Honda, was presented this past Thursday to the Indy Motor Car Museum. Okay. So you can now view that car. Um, should you go to uh, the Indy Motor Car Museum? Okay. Um did you know that not only is he the, the first rookie to win the Indianapolis 500 since Elio Castroneves in 2001, he is only the ninth rookie in the race's history. Wow. To have won that, that race. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it was also the fourth win at Indi Indianapolis for Andretti as a team owner and the second for uh, the partner, Herta. Nice. By the way, you are wrong. I am wrong. Yes, you said that there were three races within five hours of us? Yes. You forgot Indy. It's five hours away, too. I didn't realize that he was five hours away. Yeah. <coughs> that, that See, that's kind of crazy. Yes. Well, if actually, if you get right down to it, I believe you can make it to Watkins Glen. In, it, it's been a while since I've driven out there. I think we can make Watkins Glen in four. I thought it was almost closer to six because Corning is right there. And that's Corn, it, six. It's, no, it's less than six. Is it less than six? Challenge accepted. Oh. <laughs> Not today, though, because the snow is going to make it closer to 12. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there was a 50-car pileup on 90, so. Again. Again. Now. Anyway, off the snow and where the geography lesson. So IndyCar is taking a look at just like Formula One does when it gets to the offseason. They're taking a look at the rules and how things function and, and how they work. Um, they're actually looking to change the format of their weekends for going into 2017. Oh, could they use the weird qualifying that Bernie suggested? Um, that didn't work? They're not looking at that. Oh, good. They're looking to actually be a bit more consistent with their timetables and the structures of the weekends. Oh, okay. Now, I don't know how this is going to work when you've got a race like Detroit where there's two actual races in a weekend, one Saturday and one Sunday, how, that, how they're going to stack up their, their practices and, and warm-ups and all of that stuff and the qualifying. Um, but apparently multiple teams ha have also made suggestions not only uh, as to how they format the weekends but which tires they get and when oh okay because those are fairly well regulated as well so they're taking a look at that they'll hopefully get that sorted before the season starts and hopefully they won't do like formula one and get four races into a season into the season and go yeah th this Didn't was really work. stupid we, we we need to fix this more importantly <clears throat> i'm hoping that formula one makes real decent decisions into what changes they want to make so that we don't wind up four races into the season going this is really stupid we'll cross our fingers on that okay. um the other change and this they're looking at for 2018 is changes to their aero kits um they indycar changes the the type of aero kits because of the the demands of the track are so significant whether they're on an oval whether they're on a road track whether they're on an actual city street track as opposed to you know somewhere like mid ohio which is a road track but it's a real track mm -hmm. well they're, tr they're they're working on revamping uh those arrow kits they have gotten complaints in the past because especially the ones that are for the uh the street races, those kits are extremely complex and tend to be a bit fragile, Ooh. which you end up with broken carbon fiber bits all over the place when that happens. And we have learned that carbon fiber, when broken, is very sharp. It cuts tires. Yes. So they're taking a look at that. They're also, interestingly enough, they have realized and they are acknowledging that when you put really super complex aero on a car, it creates a lot of dirty air behind the car, mm -hmm. which makes it harder for the cars to race closely. They are looking to address that as part of these changes. Ooh. Formula One, however, goes, yeah, it makes lots of dirty air. Let's make these cars even more aero dependent. 
Well, I think that that is why it would be it's a cool idea to follow sort of both of the series because you really do get to see how different they are even though the casual observer might say that the cars look so similar because they're both open wheel single seaters yeah so on to formula one now last week and and first off i gotta i gotta make a correction because i was wrong and i got confused by the various tracks that were involved okay last week we mentioned that, that bernie eccleston said that uh the French Grand Prix was coming back for 2018, and I got confused between Magna Cores, Le Castellet, and Circuit Paul Ricard. I can't imagine why you would be so confused by those. Those seem so blatantly different. Yeah. Well, the, the issue was—I I know. The, the issue was I got confused between Le Castellet and um, Paul Ricard, which are the same track. And I turned around, and I believe I said Magna Cores and Paul Ricard, and they're not. They're very oh. different. Okay. Um, Magna Coors was where the last French Grand Prix was held 10 years ago. Okay. Circuit Paul Ricard, it was announced, is officially going to host the French Grand Prix in 2018 for the next five years. Awesome. So the French are getting a Grand Prix back. And I was taking a look at the track and reading an article about it. In a way, I kind of wonder how suited... Paul Ricard is to a modern Formula One race because I didn't see any covered grandstands. All the grandstands appear to be just in one area, just on what looked to be the front straight from what I could tell on on, um, Google Earth. They're they're not covered, and they're only like eight or nine rows deep. Hmm. Those were the only grandstands. Now, I'm assuming— they have a year. They have a year. And, and maybe and part of the deal is that they increase seating, or maybe it is one of those races where people go and picnic and, and sit on the grass. It could be. Now, a little more information about the circuit, because we're not particularly familiar with it. We don't see it. Um, it is a track that is known to lead the way on safety. Um, it has very large asphalt run areas and uses a lot of tech pro barriers. So could that be? Yeah. I don't know about that. Lar- large asphalt run- runoff areas concerns me. However, it's also considered to be a very ideal testing venue, um, so much so that the sports car teams use it to pre- prepare for the Le Mans. Mm-hmm. Um, they run there. Um, it's also been chosen as one of the venues for Pirelli's F1 tire testing program. Oh. This is it, and you can see it if you look at it on Google Earth. The track has 167 different configurations that can be made, ranging in length from half a mile to 3.6 miles. Wow! Yeah. Thank you, Tech Pro. Uh, that that's some of it, I mean, and and all the the huge paving areas and stuff like that. But uh, again, this is a track that they have worked really hard to develop for testing and for training of drivers Ah. which makes you wonder is this really a great venue then for racing well we'll see i mean yeah i mean barcelona is and barcelona can be on and off when it comes to racing and in theory so is suzuka right that's a big testing track as well and we see some pretty good races there now, the other thing that Bernie now always has in his back pocket, if he really wants to pull it out at uh, the French Grand Prix, if it is going boring, it has a sprinkler system installed. Oh. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, everything Bernie could possibly imagine and more right there. Yeah. Um, so one of the key drivers in getting the French Grand Prix back was uh, McLaren director Eric Boulier. Okay. So he wanted a home Grand Prix, so he pushed? Well, he pushed, but he, he and he was part of the team that brought it back, but it was specifically said that unlike, because there have been several groups that have tried to bring back the French Grand Prix over the last 10 years, but the big difference is that those folks were always, or, or those groups were always consisted of folks who were outside of Formula One. Mm. So they did not necessarily have the access to the FIA and to FOM, and most particularly to Bernie that Eric Bouillet does. Got it. 
Eric Boulier, apparently, like many F1 technical directors, happens to have Bernie on speed dial. Not a regular speed dial, but on a speed dial, as opposed to all of the other connections within the paddock that most of these groups did not have. So they have said that those connections were instrumental in bringing the race back. Well, thank you, Eric. We appreciate it. Which, you know, I find interesting. Why? Well, you'll remember, as we discussed last week, Bernie's family owns the track. (laughs) Why were additional connections needed when Bernie's family owns the track? I'm sure that there's some sort of blind trust or something that prevents that from all happening. You know how that works, right? Yeah. I know. I'll just pick up the phone and call Washington, D.C. I'll get more info about that one. Anyway, actually, probably New York would be a better option right now. Right. Anyway, so let's go back to the last race of the season. We're wrapping up the stuff here, and obviously, there was, as we have mentioned, a lot of controversy. Well, Toto Wolf has come out and said that, you know, in retrospection. Retrospection? Who's got good English now? Toto Wolf. <laughs> I'm going to blame it on him because he's not a native English speaker, so we can go. We, we in can get retrospect. Away with Reflecting on the race, Toto has actually come out and conceded that Mercedes got it wrong with the radio calls and should have let the drivers race. They should never have escalated to Patty Lowe to push Lewis. They shouldn't have done anything. They needed to stay out of it. Well, not that it mattered because uh, Lewis said, no, I'm not doing that. Um, but... Other than staying out of it, what does he mean that they got it wrong? Well, what he told Sky Sports F1 is, in the heat of the moment, sometimes when you make decisions, you get them wrong. In our mind, the way we think, this race is giving us the same number of points as other races, and we try to win that one, not considering that there was much more at stake for the drivers. How the race panned out, we should have communicated differently, and in hindsight, let them race in the way they deemed to be appropriate. Well, and in hindsight, they did. But they didn't. Because the reality was they tried to interfere with the results of the race by, by pushing Lewis along. Right. Lewis, Lewis ignored them. Yeah. And as we have said, we think that Lewis was right. But if Lewis had, well, Lewis was doing what he had to to try and win the title. Mm-hmm. And things could have been a bit differently, but they were concerned that, you know, Seb Seb could have pushed past um, Nico, and that's the other question: is given what was going on, and if there were maybe two laps longer in this race, what could have actually happened? Well, we could play woulda, coulda, shoulda all day long. The reality is, it wasn't two laps longer, and it didn't change things. But my point is, okay, yeah, Mercedes probably shouldn't have tried to push Lewis, but. They pushed Lewis. Lewis didn't budge. True. Lewis did what Lewis had to do. The race was probably run exactly the same way that it would have been run had they not said anything to Lewis initially. But here's the thing. By saying something to Lewis, it provided great radio. It provided great tension. It added to the show. They want to add to the show. They talk about doing this so artificially. Why not? expose the fact that the team is like bring both cars home get help you know your teammate you got to help nico out to get him out of the out of the risk zone all of those things and lewis go nah i'm not going to do that that's great drama well there's that but the other thing is if they had turned around and they had actually taken into account the situation as part of their strategy and and what Lewis was tr- what Lewis needed to do to win the championship mm-hmm. they could have handled the entire thing and, and it would have been probably an even bigger show they could have handled the entire situation a whole lot differently you have Lewis's side of the garage giving Lewis the information that he needs to achieve this strategy you have Nico's side of the garage operating again, Entirely independent from Lewis, because this is what you've got to do at this point. You've got to separate the two sides of the garage. Right. But then you have Nico's side of the garage 
giving Nico the information that he needs to deal with Lewis's strategy that Lewis's side of the garage is working with him to achieve, just like if they were an independent team, while at the same time you have Ferrari trying to deal with the two Mercedes drivers playing that game. And that could have been an even bigger show. Possibly. But and that, I, just don't I think, think that would have been even more interesting, especially when you're a team that says we want the drivers to race and we want to let the drivers race. And if that point they had just turned around and said, you know what, we're going into pure race mode and we're going to do what we can for both of these drivers to win the world championship. And we're going to let the garages run their race the way they see fit at this point, because we've got 20 laps left and this is going to be a cracker of a race. Go. Well, they had that opportunity, yes. And they didn't. They didn't, because the truth is, they're still a team. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they've always said, and they, I will hold to this, Mercedes has always said the two drivers could race full bore as long as they brought both cars home. And I think the risk that they were, they were going to be pushing was that one of those cars wasn't going to come home if they pushed. And so I, I, I just – I don't think that See, this is – I don't think it's a big deal. I don't think it changed the outcome. I don't think it affected anything. I, I don't think that it matters a hill of beans other than I think that truly the actual story here is that Toto had to eat crow for Lewis. I think that that's yeah. what this whole story is really about. It's not whether or not they made the bad call. It's not whether or not they said something they shouldn't have said. It's not anything like that. I think that – what this is all about is Lewis has got his little panties in a wad over the fact that they told him to push and maybe they shouldn't have. I don't have. think Lewis does. I think he does. I think he wanted, he wants the team to go, no, we won't say that to you again. We get that you were racing the way you needed to race and be done. And I think that's what this is all about. I don't know. Well, maybe our listeners can weigh in on whose side of the story you think is okay. right. So... Other Mercedes management news. Word has broken this week, and we'll see what happens in the coming weeks, that Patty Lowe, the number three man at the team, the man who calls the strategy, the man who is the highest level of escalation when it comes to these radio calls, is set to leave the team to go to Williams. And now, is that just rumor or is that actually real? Well, w here's what we know. Okay. We know his contract expires at the end of this year. Mm -hmm. um, we know that there has been some tension in the past between Patty, and there was tension with the hiring of Patty, which is one of the many reasons why Ross Braun left. Mm -hmm. um, we do know that talks between Patty and the team have um, become more intense in the last few weeks. Um, and word is, according to several sources that Motorsport.com is quoting, it was a team that brought f a, a rival team that has brought forth a serious offer that has increased the level of talks between the two. But we do not, we have not heard that Patty's on gardening leave. No, and that's one of the other things. Because his contract expires December 31st, there wouldn't be a need for gardening leave. Because it wouldn't be during the season. True, but they're prepping for 28, um, 2017 at this point. They wouldn't want their senior technical director to know their secret sauce if he's leaving. Potentially. So, so what the speculation is, mm -hmm. and at this point this is clear speculation, is that it is Williams who has put in the offer. There, there, it's not clear what the actual position might be. Because there's also talk that um, Pat Simmons is looking to retire. He's had a very long career. He's not a young guy. That he may be looking to retire at the 2017, at the end of 2017. So the thought is, Patty comes in. It's a transition between the two, mm. with Pat retiring at the end of the year. Then there's also talk that quite possibly, if Patty leaves Mercedes that James Allison would be coming back to go to Mercedes. Now, there's been a lot of speculation as to where James Allison could end up, including there was talk that he might be going to Williams. Now, I mean, 
it has definite upsides all the way around. I mean, Patty's really good and good for Mercedes, but there's tension. And mm -hmm. what would happen if the team didn't have tension? I mean, that's an important question to be asking. So this will be an interesting one to, to watch play out. Also to see what happens at Williams because Williams is in a transition to see if they can take that, that next step upward. Yeah, and after a, what was for them a very disappointing season, mm -hmm. well, for a lot of folks it was a disappointing season, they, they know they need to do something here. Right. So, hey, do, did you know that there's an open seat at Mercedes? I'm kind of aware. <laughs> I've been asking you if you've gotten your CV in yet. I did. I responded to, to the ad that they put in Autosport Magazine, which initially when I saw the picture, the screenshot come up, I'm like, yeah, this is some kind of a joke. They're just, you know, mm -hmm. teasing this. And then it turns out that, no, they actually put a classified ad in the, hard co in the paper version of Autosport Magazine for a new driver. <laughs> Somebody is having an absolute blast. And I got to say, I don't know who their social media guru is, but the marketing person in me is giving giant thumbs up to both Mercedes and also some other Twitter things that we've seen from Force India and um, Renault. Renault. Well, it it's not just somebody having fun. Just about the entire paddock is having fun. I mean, we talked last week about um, Max Verstappen and that yeah. exchange that went on. There was uh, – and um, Daniel Ricciardo was having some fun with at, at Nico Rosberg's expense, photoshopping some pictures <laughs> at one point of Nico partying rather hard. Um, but um, – Martin Brundle's son, Alex, who's, I think he's in GP2. He's in one of the junior series. He posted that uh, he hasn't been up on Twitter, Twitter very often because he's camped out in front of the, the Mercedes plant and the signal hasn't been really good. To which Martin responded, hey, save a spot for me. <laughs> yes, he said something about camping out with his helmet and he was ready to go. Yeah. David Cothard and Mark Weber were apparently touring the Mercedes plant this past week as part of the Channel 4, or filming for the Channel 4 retrospective, and they joked about, you know, they were trying to figure out who fit into the cockpit of this year's car, because that could further their chances. I mean, it's been, it's been a week. There's there's a lot of a lot of fun going on with this one. I mean, it's an unexpected, highly coveted seat that's come open. I mean, but they could have had the opportunity to take it very seriously and get really dour about the whole thing. And everybody's not doing that. They're taking this really fun, personable, yeah. um, personality filled line with it, and I think that's phenomenal. Well, Nikki Lauda came out this week, and he is he up for the seat? I, I don't think so. I, I, I think Nikki has firmly decided that he does not want any part of that outside of the contract, but he does not want to drive in Formula One. I, I think Nikki is very much enjoying his current position where he gets to leisurely walk up and down the grid and spout comments off to whoever shoves a microphone in his face. I bet Susie's a little sad that she's pregnant now. Yeah, I was kind of thinking that as well. But Yeah. Um, but Nikki says that he expects Mercedes to replace Nico Rosberg rather quickly, and he has said that he wants to give a Christmas present to Lewis Hamilton by announcing a partner by then. Okay. He thinks it will happen quickly. He is also rather upset at Nico Rosberg for putting the team in this position. Well, I don't blame him there. I don't blame him. But, okay, is there anybody's name that is not associated with that seat at this point? I mean, I think our gardener is associated with that seat right now. You know, I haven't heard any mention of Kimi Räikkönen. Wow. But but before we even get to the, the next bit of speculation as to all of that, um, you were talking about Christmas gifts. And, yes. and And the exchange that has been going back and forth between – uh, Force India and Renault Sport F1. Force India had a, a, a Christmas present under the tree for, for Renault Sport F1. Um, that would have been Nico uh, Hulkenberg's helmet and race suit. 
They left it under the tree with a note and a picture over to Renault that this was their Christmas present. They also provided a very nice note to Renault Sport F1 with um, tips on how to care for their new driver. Yes. Um, take a look over at our webpage. We, we've got the note on there. It, it's it's very good, including, you know, don't feed their driver after midnight. And it is actually okay to get their new driver wet. He's actually good in the wet. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, it's part Paddington, part Gremlins, part, you know, good-natured fun. But, yeah, it seems like that's it's kind of good-natured poking at him, you know, he responds to Nico or Hulk. <laughs> yes. But but do not call him Johnny Bravo. Apparently, or better yet, do, do that, that and let them know what happens. Report back. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yes. there's. If you're not following the teams on Twitter right now, I think you're missing out on some of the best humor. You know, We talk a lot about Twitter wars in, in the U.S. these days, and uh, F1 on Twitter is a highlight of good levity and enjoyment. Yeah, I think the best teams to follow are probably, well, right now, definitely Mercedes, um, Renault Sport F1, because it looks like they took the old social media team from Lotus, and Lotus's old social media team was epic. Mm-hmm. in poking fun at themselves and force india as well those three teams everybody else is a bit more serious but those three teams are outstanding yes and then follow your key drivers too because they they do have a, a bit of fun daniel ricardo and max uh, verstappen are kind of fun to watch on, yeah. on twitter too uh i will tell you that on the indie side of the house max chilton a little boring yeah i kind of noticed that so just just saying okay so back to speak. You know, hey, there's somebody else who who is not being spoken about as possibly taking the seat of Mercedes. Alexander Rossi and Max Shelton. Yes. Yeah. Neither, neither one of them are considered. But they one, also both signed with their current team. Yeah. So one driver who, well, actually, if you recall last week, we had comments from Total Wolf who said that you know it would not be right for us to be looking at um, Sebastian Vettel or um, Fernando Alonso because we would be interfering with the development programs at those teams and that is just not right and then this week Toto Wolf comes out and says hey you know we would really be wrong not to consider Fernando you know he's a driver I respect a lot he combines talent speed and experience it's all there so we should really consider Fernando Alonso so was Lewis really bad this year that he deserves the lump of coal in his stocking for his Christmas present because he did not get along with Fernando the last time they shared a garage. Well, even without looking into Lewis, it's this whole thing of the team did not particularly enjoy having to deal with the clashes between Lewis and Nico. Knowing the past history, why would they willingly take this on? I know. What are you thinking? I know. Well, it's okay, though, because a few days later, Fernando's manager... Flavio Briatore came out and said, uh, no, we, we said, now, now he, he got, got a little off on a tangent, but he goes, no, we said that we are not going to change, we're going to respect McLaren's contract. We have said this every time a seat has come available. We are going to respect McLaren's contract, and we are not going to break the contract. We are not even considering Mercedes go away. Stop asking the question." Of course, he then, you know, conveniently forgot the fact that Fernando broke the contract at Ferrari. But yeah, yeah that don't look over there. Okay, let's uh, let's rewind for a second. <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, have you ever noticed that whenever Fernando and his manager get very, very adamant that they aren't going to do something? They tend to do that. Well, I don't recall Flavio actually saying that Fernando wasn't going to leave Ferrari. I don't actually remember hearing much in the way of comments from Flavio about it. Fernando kept saying, I'm going to stay at Ferrari. I'm going to finish my career at Ferrari. And he kept saying that. Ah. But I don't recall Flavio saying that. Now, this time around, I haven't heard anything Fernando, but I keep hearing, but, but I've now heard Flavio saying he's not leaving. Well, let's see. Yeah. And, you know, that's one that I'm just not going to say because Fernando has done what I would not expect multiple times. Well, he's not exactly known for making wise career choices, but here you go. You have a car that 
you've got a pretty good reasoning to think is going to be strong next year that has an open seat. And however, he hates where he's at. However, Honda has come out this past week and mentioned that they don't think the car is going to be where they want it to be in 2017. Maybe 2018 is their year. Yeah. So there's that little wrinkle in it. But my point is, Fernando does not like being number two. No. And so he's not going to handle the fact that he's a two-time world champion and Lewis is a three-time world champion very well. Yeah. So remember that partnership that we were really hoping meant that Aston Martin was coming back to Formula One. Well, it was coming into Formula One. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to happen. Oh. Yeah, um... Red Bull and Aston Martin have extended their deal into 2017. You know, the deal that meant that they put the itty-bitty little Aston Martin logo on the nose of the car, and Aston Martin released a a hypercar with Red Bull's name on it. Okay. They're going to continue that. Apparently, that hypercar sold out really fast. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. That would be the forthcoming AMRB001. Ooh. Yes. But the deal, the partnership has ex- been extended for at least another year. So I guess that means that they're not buying Force India anytime soon. All righty. It's a shame. We're closing in now. Looking past 2016, we are closing in on 2017 testing. And Sergio Perez says that testing the new cars will destroy the drivers. Destroy them? Well, what he says is because of the increased downforce and the physical demands that are expected on these new cars, um, it's going to be really hard on the drivers for winter testing. Wouldn't the Grand Prix be hard on them too? Well, he would, but what he's saying is that you know we've got the off season and drivers are still trying to figure out how best to modify their training regimes to cope with this. Okay. And until they actually get in the car and feel the forces, it's really hard for them to figure that out. He knows they need more next strength, but how much that they need to work on to do this, what other areas they maybe experience force, all of that stuff, they don't know yet. And they won't know until winter testing. And he believes that, you know, it'll all be worked out by Melbourne, but winter testing is going to be really hard. Um, but yes, however, until they get into the car, they won't know the strength that they need. So... They have to get in the car to know what they need to work on, right? Pretty much. But that's what he's saying. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I'm not seeing wisdom there. Okay. So our last bit to talk about. Yes. My most looking forward to bit of all. You want to hear the predictions from last year. And yes. How we, or, or for this past year and how we did. Uh, how far off were we? Well... The, the first thing I need to remind you of, because quite honestly, I forgot until I opened it up. The first thing I have to remind you is this this was not just the bloke and the bird's predictions. This was the bloke and the bird and the boy's predictions. Ooh. So we have his predictions as well. We'll see who did better. And, and, you know, I actually didn't total this up. I probably should have done that, but I didn't. So we're just going to wing it. Uh-oh. Okay, so our first question, as always, was who would win the driver's championship? I know I got that wrong because I said Lewis. We both said Lewis. The boy said Seb. Okay. So we so, all bombed on that one. So big fat zero there. Now our next question was the natural follow-up of who would win a Constructors Championship. Mercedes. We got that right. All three of us. All right. Okay. So our next question, though, was a bit harder. The next question was who will end up higher in the Constructors? McLaren, Haas, or Renault. Okay, so we know that Haas was it Haas or Renault that made it higher. Haas made it higher in the constructors in reality. Well, actually, here, here let, let's go with our answers. Okay, so you said Haas would be higher of the three. I said Renault, and the boy said Renault. Okay. However, the actual team to place higher was McLaren. No. McLaren, Haas, then Renault. So I think I should get half credit for the fact that Haas beat your cars. Okay. 
I'll go for that. Okay. So the next question. Kimi Räikkönen. Would he retire at the end of 2016? Well, he didn't. So did I say that he did? He was? We both said he was out the door. The, the boy, boy said he was staying. <gasps> the boy was right. Yep. Who will end up higher in the constructors? Red Bull or Renault? Please tell me we all said Red Bull. We all said Red Bull. Okay. Now, the next question was entirely based on what we saw happening at the beginning of the season. Okay. Now, remember, at the beginning of the season, it was Daniel Kvyat in the Red Bull seat and Max Verstappen in the Toro Rosso seat. Mm-hmm. So with that worldview, we asked who would score more points, Daniel Kvyat or Max Verstappen? Okay. So what did I say? We both said Max. Ooh. The boy said Kvyat. So we both got that right. We got that right, not knowing that Max was about to was about you know, to five win the lottery. Race, five races into into moving up and, and Daniel was gonna crash and burn the rest of the season. Um will Honda sign a second team? Oh, well, they didn't. And we all said no. Excellent. This one, again, another one that we thought, based on the words that were coming out of both Renault and Red Bull's uh, PR folks and their principals, <laughs> that this was not going to be a great season for the Renault-powered teams. Right. So we asked, how long before the Renault-Red Bull slap fight resumed? Oh, and it didn't resume. Yeah, we were completely wrong. Huh? Now, the boy was potentially closer because you said Barcelona. I said Austria. He said after the summer break. Huh? So it's up to you if you want to award him a half point. I think that. that's a half point there. Okay. <clears throat> this is one that changed. And, and we have to figure out how to adjudicate this one. Okay. This is going to be a hard one. So the question was, will Nico Rosberg stay with Mercedes for 2017? Because remember, his contract was up. Mm. So you said no. I said no. And the boy said yes. So why this needs to be adjudicated? Because, you know, he first you signed thinking, a new contract. There you go. But he's not going to be in the team 2017. There you go. So, so mid-season... The answer was, yes, he's staying. But we're not looking at mid-season. We're looking at the end of the season. Yeah. Um, so I think the only fair answer... I think everybody gets half point. Everybody gets half point. That's exactly what I was thinking. So, you know, I think uh, the judges, the race stewards of this particular mm -hmm. thing, agree half point credit for everybody. So the next one that I think needs some potential adjudication. Okay. Okay. Max Verstappen, mm -hmm. would he do a third year at Toro Rosso or sign with another team? Ooh. What, how did we answer? Now, all three of us said another team. Oh, technically, all three of us are right. We are, but again, we weren't expecting, expecting a mid-season mid change. And that changes. But what you didn't ask was, at the end of the year, you asked, would he do a third year at Toro Rosso? He did not. Or sign with another team? True. He did. He just did it on an earlier schedule, so I think that's one point across the board. Okay. Well, big event will happen this year. That That's what our big thing was. And... Yeah, we weren't. Well, I think the boy came close, although I don't know. No, he was wrong, too. Okay, so we're all wrong. You came close. Actually, no, you were right. Ooh. Ish. All right, well, let's, see, let's, okay. let's hear our predictions. So, so it's a big, big event will happen in, 20, in 2016. Mine was that, you know, I went completely off the wall and said McLaren and Renault will announce a partnership for 2017. Ooh. Nope, not that. So that, not, yeah. Never happened. Okay. The boy's prediction was that, Sebastian Vettel would end up in the top two. Yeah, he was wrong because he was, what, third? 
Sebastian Vettel ended up actually fourth, fourth okay. behind Daniel Ricciardo. Okay. That's got to be great, Narnia. But all you had. All I had. All you had was Haas success. Oh. So Haas outperformed their plan. They did. Um, you know, definitely can argue towards races, the end of the year they were struggling, but but in the first three races they scored more points than they expected to all season. So yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's me. Yeah, that's what we had. Okay, so I was tallying my points. Oh, nobody else's points. Well, I only have one calculator <laughs> <laughs> and no pen and no paper. But I was roughly telling my points. I believe that I have won by half a point. We were pretty close this year. I and, I, and I, you and I were very, very close. I may have won by one and a half points because I got the half point for Haas. And Haas is what pushed me over the edge. If I get a half point for Haas and a half point for, or a point for the Haas success at the end, you and I had same predictions for everything else. I think I've won by a point, maybe a point and a half, a, a half a point to a point. So I think I have won. The boy lost a couple of things like um, he he was close. He and you may have tied because yeah. we've been fairly back close. And forth. But we were very close on our predictions, which just goes to prove how well we know Formula 1. You know, I was stunned because we were looking at a lot of these, and I'm like, I just have no freaking clue this I year. Was, it was so inconclusive in a lot of areas coming out of preseason testing that, yeah, it was just no idea. So I'm, I'm kind of stunned that we got it as close as, as we did. Hey. So let me ask you this. Yes. What do you think was, now that we are at the end of the season, the biggest story of the year? Max moving to Red Bull. Think mid-season. so? I think that that was the biggest story. Yeah. that That was the thing that was game-changing across the board. I think it was the story that um, caught everyone's attention for the longest. It carried bigger ramifications um, throughout the entire year. I think that that's what that that meant, and I think it carried over into multiple drivers and multiple pieces, and it definitely catapulted his career. I think that is truly the overwhelming biggest story. That one, I, yeah, I think that's pretty big and probably right up there with Nico's announcement to retire. That's also huge. I just, I don't think that that's going to have the same reaching ramifications. Like, we will always be talking about Max being promoted mid-season. We may not talk about Nico's retirement for much longer once Mercedes announces a new driver. Yeah, you know. On that note, I, I want to call out that our dear friend, Bernie Eccleston, you know, because he's such a wise person in the sport, has declared that um, he does not see Nico Rosberg as being one of the greats of the world champions. And this is where I, I have to say Bernie's a bit of an evil genius. Why? Because the reality is... What he has said, is, especially in the outlet that reported that I saw, because it was like the Bangalore Times or something <laughs> ridiculous like that. But what he has said is pretty much nothing. Mm-hmm. But what he has said is also guaranteed to get a ton of attention. Oh, yeah. Even though he has pretty much said nothing. Well, yeah. So that's, that, that's where I go back to evil genius. I think that you may be right um, because Bernie is the king of saying ridiculous one-line statements with nothing to back them up, mm-hmm. but he goes on to say something else that the headline grabs that one-line statement. So, okay, so we've, we've got biggest story, and, and I know what the answer to this question is, but I'm going to ask, ask. I'm actually going to ask it in two parts so that we can get some different answers to go with it. Okay. Biggest disappointment at a team level and biggest disappointment at a driver level. Okay, so at the team level, I think the biggest disappointment is Williams. I think that they were really poised to 
take that step upward. Um, they, they had the ability and the potential to use the lack of development and the lack of success that was happening in Ferrari and Red Bull to move from third to second. And they slipped even further back now. And some couldn't of that, figure out why. And they couldn't figure out why. And I think some of that is that Ferrari and Red Bull both made leaps that were unexpected. Um, and Williams didn't make they didn't make the similar leaps. They took steps backwards where those two teams in the gap widened. And I feel that that was the biggest disappointment for at the team level. I saw better things from Williams. I really thought that they were in the moment to shine and ready to shine. Interesting, because I would have gone the other way. I would have said it was Ferrari, especially coming out of Melbourne. It looked like Ferrari was going to challenge, and things just kind of fell apart and got worse throughout the year with Williams close behind. Because hmm. I did agree that Williams was very disappointing, and we thought that they were going to be nipping at the heels, and they weren't. And it looked like Ferrari was going to be nipping at the heels, and they made some stupid choices and just slid backwards from there. Yeah. Now, I, I so your I know what the answer is is not the truth. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised. Now, now, how about from a driver perspective? <sighs> Biggest disappointment from a driver perspective. This one's hard because I think the obvious answer is that you would think of, of Lewis Hamilton because he didn't get the world championship, and I don't think that that's the reality. Um, the, I, I think that there's moments for drivers that I'd have to say are disappointing. Um, I'm thinking performance-wise. Overall performance? Yeah, not, not who is disappointed by the result, but performance-wise. Somebody that you expected to do better than they actually did. Or, yeah. Well, with that, I think I'm going to have to go with Botas, honestly. I mean, yes, the obvious choice is Lewis. He did not perform up to his level, and I, I get that. But I'm not entirely sure second is is that is disappointing to me as I think that Botas had a whole lot more potential and has shown that he is a better driver than where he landed in the grid. See, I wouldn't consider Lewis's season a disappointment from that mm -hmm. perspective because of the fact that, yeah, when the, when the car was working and when he was going, he was performing. There were really only about two races that you just kind of sat there and went, what is going on here? Right. So, yeah, the starts were an issue in the beginning of the season and, and on and off the rest of it. But truly, I, I think he was on it. So I, I, I don't think... Lewis was really a disappointment. But, yeah, I got to agree with you. Botus and, to some extent, Button, too. Yeah, but for my feeling, if you're going to excuse the Lewis because of the mechanical issues, you have to kind of ignore the Button problem because but, um, Button and Alonzo, both, yeah. were plagued definitely by the issues that happen, were happening at Honda. So... It's hard to say what, where I would have thought that they would have fallen had they had a better situation. Um, but if you're saying, you know, given the situation, where did they fall? Um, I think Botas is probably one of the disappointing people on the grid. Um, I would easily tell you that I think Grosjean towards the second half of the season was disappointing. Um, you know, he had a great open and then it fell apart on him. All of McLaren was disappointing. Yeah. Um, but McLaren made huge improvements. Yes. For all their improvements, they still disappointed. So, you know. They're, they're a team that should be up at the front. Right. They should be fighting with the, the big boys. Yeah, with the Ferraris and the Red Bulls and the Mercedes. They should, they should not, not be. They should not be fighting with Sauber. Yeah. Um, you know, and when we talk about highs and lows – there's some other highs that I have to throw out there that you got to remember. Mm -hmm. Things like Manor. I think Manor took a step up this year. Um, they're still a back marker. They don't don't misunderstand it. I think they're going to start fighting with Ferrari. They're still in the back end, but I think that they really they 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 took that moment to say we're quite not quite satisfied starting twentieth and twenty first every single time. And yeah, and they they made it. Well, in particular, Pascal Verline made it into Q2 several times. Yeah. I believe there actually was 
No, they did not get into Q3 yet. No, they've not made it into Q3. But but I think that that's a big deal. Yes. Because in previous seasons, they never made it out of Q1. And it was known that they wouldn't make it out of Q1. And in fact, one year we are constantly talking about whether they made the 107%. Yeah. So to be starting to nip into the Q2 world, I think that's pretty big. Yeah, that was huge. And the the two disappointments that go with that. Mm-hmm. One is losing out on the prize fund after getting a point this season because Sauber got lucky. Yeah. I mean, let's right out there. Sauber got lucky, but by comparison, Sauber's a disappointment in its own right. The fact that they only got one point, they got it in Brazil, they got it because they got lucky. Mhm. And beyond that, the rest of the season has been pretty much a disaster. And they've made a decision that I don't care how much they they try and justify it, how much they try and claim it's the right decision. They've pretty much guaranteed that their next season is going to be a disaster, too. Right. Yeah, I think that you're completely right there. So I think that there's poor management going on at Sauber, and I kind of choose to ignore that they exist at this point. (laughs) Okay. So any other wrap-up questions? Let's see. Other things that we've got to point out that caught us by surprise. How bad the initial qualifying was. Oh. What it took to get that qualifying out of there to go back. And you know something? Because the season is very, very long, and it was 21 races, that seems like such a distant memory but well, we can't even it's like at one mid-season of the you can't forget. Even at midseason break, we're like, oh yeah, they they did screw up the qualifying for three races. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's one of those things. It's like you cannot forget that, lest we have to go back to that because it was bad. I still hold my conspiracy theory. It still holds that I think the teams kind of got together and made it worse. You know, they kind of exploited the badness of it. If that makes any sense. Um, I I think they they pulled their cars in and just let the clock run out. Well, there was no reason for them to go out. And I think that that was part of it. And I think that you exasperate the badness of it. What could have been a eh, mediocre well, idea or would have taken longer to show off. I think that they're like, you know, if we do this, it'll see, it will be even worse than what we could have pictured. Well, if you remember, some of what drove that was. We saw, especially with the, the more fragile tires that, that mm-hmm. were being run at one point, you ended up with a lot of qualifying where the first two to three minutes of, of the session, there were no cars on track. Right. And people were upset because, well, you know, we're here to see the cars race, and they're not racing, even though the qualifying session used to end fairly dramatically a lot of times. Right. So they tried to counter that. Oh, we'll, we'll go with this knockout qualifying thing, but... Instead, you ended up doing the exact opposite, and you took a lot of the drama away. Right. And you made it hard to follow. So, yeah. That's exactly the thing. And, you know, now we have a qualifying structure, which is one thing that nobody was complaining about was how qualifying. And so that was the other To a point. Again, you know, the beginning of the session where nobody was out there. Right. But what we have now is basically they go out, they make a good, fast, hot lap. They come in, they sit for a little bit, and then they go back out it towards the end of it because, you know, sometimes it falls away at the end, yeah. so they've got to defend that. That's the way it works. And on Q1s and uh, Q1 and Q2, some of the top teams don't even go out for the second piece because they're safe. Yeah. And you, since you only have to get above the cut and it resets, I think that that's totally reasonable. And it keeps fewer cars on the track that slows things down. I mean, that's the other piece is when 21 cars are on the track, it's slower. I like to see fast cars zipping by. You've been listening to too much David Gothard. I want to see these cars going as fast as possible on the edge all the time, and they have to always be pushing. I don't, I'm not quite as hardcore as David Gothard is, but he has a point. I like to see them fast. I like to see them pushing and i like to see or at least think that they are pushing as much i don't want to hear i do not want to hear the radio call that says i'm saving tires i don't want to hear the car the call that says turn down the engine i would rather not know 
I, I, I'm okay if that's what they're doing. And kind that of part the, doesn't. You, we want to hear the radio because that was the other thing that happened oh, yeah, this the, year. The is radio. there was the radio ban, and it really all we heard was was Sebastian Vettel complaining on the radio, and that was about it after that. But we want to hear the radio calls. We want to hear the strategy stuff. We want to hear those conversations. We just don't necessarily need to hear the "well, turn the wick down." Yeah, and, and I think that that's that's the part that I think is very important. I I want to hear the. You know, we need you to go a minute two. I, I I need to hear that. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear Sebastian loses cool on the radio. I really do. I want to hear. Come on, Charlie. What are you thinking? I want to hear that drama, but I don't want to hear turn the engine down. I don't want to hear we need you to save the tires. I want to hear things that say. Oh, I'm out. Crash. Somebody hit me in the. Turn two, and then somebody hit me in the rear again in turn three. For sake, honestly, what the are we doing here? That, 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 <laughs> right there. Those are the radio calls I want to hear. That's exactly what I want to hear. I want to hear the we need you to push for the next two laps so that you can make the gap. I want to hear the stuff that talks about, you know, where people are and how fast they need to go and do those things. Just edit everything that says turn the engine down or save the tires. Or lift and post. Yeah, the car out of the way. It's going to cost us time. I know he thinks he's quick, but he's not. <laughs> exactly. So there's there's that. The The radio ban, I think, was a, a, a new low. So qualifying was a low. Radio ban was a low. Um, we seem to recover and return back to things that were better towards the end. And quite frankly, we got the exact kind of end of the year race that we wanted, which was a race that came down to the last laps in the last race of the last of the season. Well, that was one of my other points is that, you know, for all the complaints that there were about the results being predictable because it was always going to be a Mercedes 1-2 and it was the battle was between them and Mercedes was going to win it all. I got to say, some of the racing this year, the, the majority of the racing this year was some of the best that we've seen. And there were not a whole lot of real sleeper races this year. No. No. I mean, I think I took some good naps in the mid, mid laps of a couple of races. But for the majority of them, I couldn't sleep because you were screaming at the screen. Oh, you're going to blame it on me. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll wrap up with, with this last big event that well it, it, it took away the 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 prospect of a mercedes win and it was probably one of the biggest headlines of the season overall in terms of race results okay and that's what we'll wrap with Round red, turn three we go and it's nico rosberg and hamilton's onto the grass and hamilton's had a massive crash and he's crashed into his teammate the two mercedes come together as hamilton tried to pass on the inside and he can and he won't want to see that again. We have the safety car out here, but the two silver arrows have crashed on the opening lap. Hamilton takes out his teammates, and there will be a big, big inquiry behind closed doors into that. And on that, we'll call it a show and a season. He's not breaking for animals. You should give him a hard time because of that. What was that all about? Two I heard seagulls. that. Seagulls, yeah? Two seagulls, turn one. I think I feel like you're using the sea. I feel I feel that they were innocent. Yeah, but I am a racing driver, so I have to find some sort of excuse. Why? Why he the looked, hell he, you he looked, me today? I saw you look up, and then the seagulls did then I, the I don't move. Know, I had my eyes into turn one, and I saw these stupid couple of seagulls <laughs> sitting there, all relaxed. I'm coming. Hey man, red. it was planned. You know my car you know is red. I'm, you know it's I'm, like easy to you know see. I'm good with animals, right? It doesn't blend in like yours. Um, it's like easy Dr. to Doolittle. see. I told them to be there, and they were there. And we've had <laughs> we've had our boys in VT check it. They say they couldn't see anything. <laughs> Honestly, it's invisible seagull. No, They're it's white not doves. invisible. Well, I don't know. Turtle doves. White birds. It wasn't a pigeon. It was a seagull. I could see the beak. The problem's usually groundhogs here. Though. I know their names, but they were there. You saw them as well. <laughs> In terms of the seagull get the hunt, get the we seagulls. can't find them. I'm, 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 I'm gutted. Apparently, where he, he basically he oh, hold locked on. up, into, he locked turn up into turn one. Wait. And, and then he went wide. Oh. Yeah, that's the one. There you go. What the? Oh. Oh. 
two seagulls. You see, I had my eyes in so deep into the apex, I looked up. Who so would have thought it? Honestly. I thought it was groundhogs that were issue here. One more look at them. Oh my God, they're, they're so far away. Yeah, but I, mind, mind the animals. Honestly, <laughs> that is good. You, nice. should, you should get a medal for that. That's... Did you see? They stayed. Can you show that again, please? They stayed there. <laughs> That's what really annoyed me. They stayed there. Look, you're looking up already. If I look, there's a red car coming at I don't know something. They stay there. They're not sure they're very clever, seagulls, but there you go, maybe that's well, why they didn't see it coming. If you can catch those two seagulls, you might prove the opposite of what you ever found out in history about seagulls. We could continue this I think they might have to buy you a couple of seagulls. I don't think they'll, I don't know if they're white seagulls or whatever, I think you need a couple. But you told me you had some... Uh, the one bird did poo on my, 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 my visor Today, at one stage. On that yeah. Is that right?